The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome, everybody, to the Provoke Media Podcast from the beach in Cannes. And uh, welcome to James Ferber. Uh, Executive Creative Director at MMC, the agency formerly known as Marina Mar Communications. And we are here um, not inappropriately to talk about creativity and its role in public relations and beyond. And the idea of creativity in earned media in particular, uh, which is a pretty appropriate discussion for uh, can any of the last five or ten years, really, because earned has been dominating. Um, but why don't we start, James, with you just introducing yourself and telling people a little bit about your journey to becoming a creative director at a PR agency. Sure, I'd be delighted. And thank you, Paul, for having me. This is great. Um, so, yeah, it's been an interesting journey overall. So I will say this is a path that I certainly didn't expect to take, not just within the context of PR, but even just my previous life in advertising as well. Uh, I had actually gone to school for neuroscience. Um, I fully expected to be going a PhD track. Um, and honestly, I guess this is the year in which everyone is kind of opening up about this anyway. But the year after I graduated college, uh, my father had actually passed away the year before. And I just, I couldn't get out of the house. I really had kind of a lost year when I was 23. And I didn't know what to do with myself. And I knew following the path that I'd been going down, grad school felt like the right way to go. So I was in the process of applying to PhD programs. When I went to go meet a good friend of mine from college, uh, who was at a bar with her ex-girlfriend, her ex-girlfriend's new girlfriend, and that girlfriend's best friend, uh, who turned out to be a creative director at the Cement Block. Uh, and she basically hired me on the spot. Um, so it was certainly not an expected path, but I figured, you know what, this sounds really interesting. Uh, and she was working on what at the time was the first oral medication for MS, so Jelenia, uh, coming from Novartis. So that was my first foray into advertising. Uh, and for me coming in, I knew the science, but I had absolutely no concept whatsoever about what being a copywriter actually meant, uh, which also meant on my first day, I remember sitting there as people were trying to give me jobs going, I have no idea what this means, please help me. Uh, but uh, from there, I really kind of immersed myself into that world. And after the cement block where I spent three years um, and really learned some beautiful things there, and uh, Stephanie Berman, who's now the chief creative officer at Hill Holiday, uh, she's the one also who hired me based on uh, not a portfolio, but literally short stories and lab reports that I had written. So thank you, Steph. Uh, but after spending a few years there, I went over to Area 23, uh, where I spent some time as Tim Hawkey's pet copywriter uh, and got to see how he was transforming that agency. Uh, the funny thing being, I think I arrived the week after Renee left and left the week before Renee came back. So I never got to see her as a part of that equation, uh, but had some really great times there. Uh, from there, I actually went over to Harrison and Star, so another Omnicom agency, the family that I'm in now. Uh, from there to GHG, GHG to Razorfish, and then Marina Mar came calling. So definitely a windy journey overall. But I think the thing that really 
for like maybe foretold a little bit uh, my switch into more earn first creative is even when I was working in classic advertising, the stuff that interested in me really wasn't the core ads. Right now, granted, as a copywriter, I still love getting to concept and working all these things, and I very much viewed the copy as my craft. But when it came time to ideation, the things that actually excited me were the things that kind of got left to the end. Right, it was the three what we would call the three sixty blowout, which for me now are core activations. Right, that and data visualization, which I realized in the ad world, especially in healthcare coming up, most ad agencies treat it as an afterthought. It's like, okay, we're going to skin some bar graphs with the brand colors, and that's it. That's the one thing physicians actually care about. If you can tie it to concept, if you can make it interactive in some way, if you can improve recall, you're doing so much more to actually advance that brand. And when it came to the things inspiring me, you know, we, we always would share inspiration and all these other things to try to motivate people overall. And the things that always stood out to me were stuff like UNICEF's landmine campaign, which was stickers placed on the ground, right, where the adhesive side was facing up, you'd walk by, you couldn't see it, you'd step on this thing, and all of a sudden there'd be a message on the bottom of your shoe, right? Or Lucky Iron Fish, or uh, 3M's Unbreakable Glass was always one of my favorites. Uh, for people who haven't seen that, literally they uh, came out with a treatment that made uh, glass apparently unbreakable. Uh, they put $3 million between two panes of that glass at a bus station in Toronto, tweeted out the location and said, if you can break it, you can have it. To me, that was magic. And I think the big epiphany for me is if I can create an interaction that tells the entire story, I don't need to say a word. And if I don't need to say a word, I'm also not triggering ISI along the way. So I can find a much more effective way to actually communicate what this brand is looking for if I go down that path. So when MMC reached out to me, I was beyond intrigued. I'll admit that the recruiter first referred to it as an experiential ad agency, so a little bit of a bait and switch there, but I'm glad for it. Um, and really, that very much spoke to me based on the things that were really appealing. Um, and for me, the biggest thing was actually walking in, recognizing that shifting from advertising to PR, I knew nothing. And I think one of the things that I've seen many creatives struggle with when making that transition is they come in expecting what good looked like in advertising to be the same as what good looks like in PR. And they struggle to understand why it is that some ideas that they have, as big as they may be, aren't actually resonating with the team, they're not making it forward. Because um, as you move from that pure push mechanism of advertising into the pull of PR, it really does take a reset uh, in the way that you're thinking about setting up ecosystems. The world is our canvas, right? There's so much more inspirational here. So for me, it's been just a beautiful journey, and I, I love the switch. So, <laughs> so uh, I think we could probably do a whole other podcast on neuroscience, which is a topic that fascinates me as it applies to our business. Um, but sticking with the theme of creativity... Um, is there, is there, or did you notice a big difference between the way creativity is celebrated and recognized in the advertising business and the way it's treated in the PR business? I always, I've always been under the impression that whereas creatives are the rock stars of advertising, they're just another part of the equation in PR. You see that sort of reflected here in Cannes. If you win a Cannes Lion as, a, as an ad creative, you can walk into the office the next week and demand a $20,000 raise, and they have to give it to you. I've never heard of a PR person doing that with either a lion or, or a saber. Do we, do we not celebrate creativity as much in the PR business? Uh, I... 
Perhaps not in the same way. Um, and I think that is something that is actively changing right now. And I think the transformation within the industry is well underway. And I'm seeing more and more agencies really adopt a more creative first kind of model. And that's really been our thing overall for these last few years and what we're trying to build. I will say it can be much more difficult often to recognize the contributions of creative within the context of PR. I will say some of my favorite and perhaps most creative ideas that I've come up with since moving over to MMC are things that no one will ever know about, and that is exactly why I know they were successful. Right? So crisis communications actually can be a fascinating place to be applying creativity. And I think the way that I try to view this overall and the way that we as an agency really approach creativity is the notion of creating creative solutions to tangible business problems. And when you view it in that context, absolutely anything can be manifested in a creative fashion. And it's more about creating ecosystems of thought, things that are going to be driving behavior in the way that you want, rather than that kind of push mechanism, again, of advertising, where you're just kind of talking out there into the ether. So it's different in that, I believe, in advertising, it's just easier to quantify. The art director made this. The copywriter wrote this. Whereas for us, it's also deliberately more blended. Right? I don't expect myself to know the perfect influencer to be leveraging within this subpopulation. Right? I need to lean on the other people around me and co-create. And there's also this notion of being able to be comfortable in watching your idea radiate out in a fashion that you do not have control. So one of my favorite things these days is actually uh, working directly with media partners and creating work that is literally co-created between our two teams. Uh, or even in the context of influencer marketing, it works in very much the same fashion. It's I have an overarching construct, but now I need to rely on someone else to actually be my mouth. Piece, right? So my creative isn't actually necessarily manifested by me, which again makes it more difficult to trace back, but it's more effective at the end because we're actually leveraging a channel or a person who people are actually going to respond to much more effectively than if the brand or the company were to push that message directly. So one of the one of the things that I've always heard from public relations people is that creativity, and you're alluding to it to a certain extent what you just said, though I think they mean something different, that creativity is a much more collaborative thing in public relations than it is in perhaps advertising, that it's a team effort. And I've had that used as a reason not to have a department or a person with creative in the title because, quote unquote, creativity is everybody's job. We expect everybody to be creative. And if you just say, okay, we have a creative team over here and that's their job, it implies that it's not everybody else's job. How does that work at MMC? Is everybody creative? Or? So I will say everyone certainly is, but we definitely have delineation in terms of the roles and who's going to be working on what. And I think for me, again, part of the reason why I walked in with that mindset of I know nothing is because I also recognized that this was an agency that had won many lions before there was even a single person there who actually had creative in their title. And I needed to acknowledge that. And I think one of the most difficult parts of the transition into ensuring that we had a true creative uh, offering within the agency in the way that we define it now 
is recognizing that for many people with NPR, you do get into the industry because you want to do creative things, even if you're working within a generalist model. So for many people, it actually felt as if we were taking away their favorite part of the job. So that's something that we really had to navigate very effectively. And I think for me, part of this as well is also the way that we set up the overarching ecosystem through which we create the work, right? So everywhere you go now, you're going to hear about the magic of art plus copy, right? And how Bernbach had that great innovation of actually putting these two people in the same room. Where have we gone since, right? It's time, we can say that there are other people and other disciplines beyond just art and copy who can function within that same kind of model. So at MMC, one of the things that we love to employ are non-traditional pairings of teams. I might have a copywriter working with an influencer strategist. Uh, I might have an earned media person working with uh, an art director. We're still leveraging that yes and beauty that is the same thing behind the advertising creative model. But we're doing it with people who are more relevant to the actual ecosystem of uh, PR and social media, which is where we're really trying to play. So it is certainly more collaborative. You need more people to create effective work because of how hyper-specialized some of this ends up becoming. But I do think overall, there is something very special to also being able to break apart those true creative ideators are going to be going through and creating something special and above. And we've now been able to grow a generation of creative talent within the agency who are thinking earned first, and it's the only thing they've ever known. So now we have people with that same sort of rigor, that same training and backgrounds that you might see within the advertising industry, but they're applying it purely within PR with incredible results. So... One of the things that seems to me to have changed in recent years, five to ten years, say, is this sort of idea of earned first creativity. Um, and I've, I've had people tell me that every great earned idea can be turned into a paid ad, but not every great creative ad has an earned component or even the potential for an earned component. And certainly, I can remember 10 years ago, we used to see PR campaigns, which were, which were essentially about promoting the ad, not about taking the ad and giving it an earned spin. When you were on the ad side of the business, how much how much thought and time did you give to making sure that your creative ideas had the potential to, to manifest themselves through other channels? Zero. Zero. And uh, that's also, the, there's uh, a little bit of ego that certainly goes with that, I think, on, on that side of things. But really, it just wasn't ever a consideration. And I think I was falling into the same trap also that I see so many creatives when they move to this side falling into, which is, well, it's such a creative idea, people are going to cover it. Not necessarily, right? But what I also find so amusing, even just walking around Cannes and seeing all the work that's winning over recent years, is when you see an incredible ad campaign, what is the number one metric that those agencies put up there symbolizing how effective this thing was? We got X amount of free media. We got covered by X amount of different uh, of different trades. Meanwhile, there is a name for that. It is literally earned. So what changed? What, what happened to make advertising agencies understand that if they could create ideas, because many of the great winning campaigns that can 
fearless girl, like a girl, I, you know, the, the campaigns that have dominated the last few years, came out of advertising agencies, but were clearly earned first ideas. What changed to make advertising creatives understand the power? Oh. You know, I, I don't know if anything necessarily changed overall. I, it might also depend, frankly, on the part of the business in which you're sitting. So I think in that pure consumer world, that element has always been there to a degree. I think people just didn't realize it when they necessarily stumbled into it. And I think when I look back on even, uh, there's the fantastic documentary Art and Copy, right? And when you look back at some of those seminal campaigns, every single one of them actually had earned at its core, whether or not they realized that they had tapped into something bigger culturally or not. I can tell you, at least in my own experience, where I saw the transition happening in the context of healthcare advertising, it's really understanding that there are such profound limitations working within that hyper-regulated space, and it's regulated for proper reasons, not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but there are so many limitations in the context of what you can communicate and how effective you can be that people realize, again, things like interactions, things like stunts, things that are out in the world and not tied to the written page, that was actually a much cleaner way of expressing a creative thought. And that's where, uh, when you look at even the success of like an Area 23, what the What If Challenge was geared to actually, those kind of ideas are exactly what Tim was trying to drive when he instituted that uh, that. Uh, modality overall. So really, there was that transition probably about 10 years ago when people realized, again, I don't need to just think about this in terms of my branded vis aid and my, just, uh, my ad overall. There's so much more that I can do with this. And by creating things that tangibly help the communities that I'm trying to reach, I can do things that are going to halo onto my brand and still have that same effect as the ad, but do so in a much more effective and, and special way. Okay. Um, I don't want to get bogged down in this next topic because it's one that comes up every time we're here in Cannes and it's one that the industry spends endless hours, months, weeks, whatever, agonizing about. How worried should we be that once the ad agency business realized that earned first ideas were the most powerful ideas, they suddenly started producing them um, seemingly at will, and certainly in a way that has taken home more PR lions than the PR business would like the ad industry to have. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say they should be equally worried of the PR agencies seeing the same thing. I mean, so for me, the way that I always like to view it is... As long as you're laddering up to something that truly sits above everything, you can do incredible work across all channels. And uh, for us at MMC, everyone everyone has different definitions of what a platform is for them and different models of working. Uh, for us, we consider it to truly be like the positioning for a campaign. And I think when you view it in that fashion, you can have a singular overarching construct that works across truly everything. Because advertising, at the end of the day, it's just another activation within your plan, right? It might be the one you're spending the most money on most of the time, but it's just another activation within the plan. And if you view it in that fashion and gearing what you produce to what is truly going to be most effective for your audience, that's when you start to create really profound programming. It doesn't matter if that's coming from an ad agency or a PR agency. I think we're all equipped to now focus on that middle. But what's so profound about it is that I think when you look at what good really looks like across both, we're kind of collapsing into the space. It's the same space right now overall, right? Great advertising is always earned at heart and great PR is always creative at its core, right? They're almost indistinguishable when you do it right, uh, and hence everyone moving, again, towards that middle. Um, tell us a little bit 
about the process that you've just gone through at MMC, because one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was that you've just rebranded, um, you've put creative at the core, you've put disruptive creative at the core. Um, tell me a little bit about how that builds on the tradition at MMC and the way that it's new and different from what's come before. Oh, absolutely. So I think, you know, the beauty in this is as we went through uh, a really robust exercise to try to figure out what we could define ourselves as moving forward, we really did realize that the best definition actually is something that had been there all along. So that notion of being artfully disruptive really did feel to encapsulate everything that MMC had been historically. Uh, you know, Marina founded it as the first agency truly focused on marketing to women, which to me absolutely is an act of disruption. And when I think about some of the, icon the truly iconic campaigns to come out of the agency over the course of the years, uh, for me, I always love the Great American Try-On for Depends or very famously the first ever Cover Boy for Cover Girl. These were inherently acts of disruption, whether or not we were calling them that at the time or not. So it felt like a moniker that certainly fit. And I think up until this point, or at least for the last almost decade, uh, we had branded ourselves around that notion of artfully persuasive. And I think that actually was part of the reason that I came to MMC as well. I thought that an absolutely fascinating kind of construct overall, that notion of pulling someone along a journey without even them necessarily realizing that you've done it. I thought there was something so fascinating to that. But when we look at our work and what we're doing overall now, persuasive is subtle, right? It's not necessarily a reflection of all of the work that we're doing in the world right now. And I think when we look at our gold standard, we're always looking now for work that is digital first, but itself can drive earned, right? It's hitting both sides of that equation. And very often the best way to do that is with something that is profoundly disruptive. But I think the key, and for us, the greatest applicability of this is that this isn't disruptions for disruption's sake, right? Like we're not going to be going and just doing things to be triggering or just openly provocative for no purpose. Purpose is the core of everything we do. So really, uh, that notion of purposeful disruption, how can I drive behavior with this? What is that lever I can pull that is going to unlock something that I need from that audience? That's the way we view it overall. So it's intercepting that right moment in time with that right person and, again, reaching them in a fashion that is really going to motivate them. So disruption at its core can be something as big as that tech-based solution or some of the beautiful things that we see here at Can. Disruption can also be much more subtle, right, or the way that you're defining something. So again, it gives us this flexibility, but also just a powerful way, again, of driving behavior, because at the end of the day, that's what we're always trying to do. So one of the interesting things about MMC and the way it's evolved is that while most people, I think, still know it primarily as a consumer PR firm, um, you guys are, are heavy into healthcare now. Uh, you mentioned doing crisis work earlier. Um, and I'm interested in, you know, consumer PR is a field that I think people would agree is inherently creative. Um, healthcare, because of the constraints, regulatory and otherwise, has historically, I think, been less so. If I'm being honest, a lot of the work I see in the healthcare realm, particularly in the pharma realm, is fairly formulaic. I don't want to be reductive, but I'm a journalist. So, uh, you know, a lot of the work I see is find the most appropriate celebrity, put them on Good Morning America, have them talk about the medication, changing their lives, and move on. And obviously, 
you're coming up with ideas that that build on, expand on, and completely blow that up in some cases. But how does the role of creativity differ in healthcare and corporate and crisis from what we're used to in consumer? So I, it's interesting in that actually right now I see those as being the greater opportunity. So um, because again of the way that healthcare advertising can be so hyper-regulated, that's the space where we actually have a little bit more free reign when it comes to operating within the PR space. So generally if I'm working with one of our consumer partners, I'm aligning myself directly with uh, also their advertising agency, right? We're trying to do something that's going to be uh, truly symbiotic, right? Whereas within healthcare, we very often have to deviate, right? So we're coming up with something bespoke to the side of what they're doing, knowing that it's going to be actually the right way for us to be moving forward. And, uh, you know, even moving outside of ourselves, even looking at the show last night, right? Um, so scroll therapy, I'd say, is absolutely a PR idea. Looking back to last year, uh, what Cox Communications did with Project Convey, uh, with Dell and I will always be me. Uh, Area 23 with Lil Sugar. These are all PR campaigns at their core. They truly are. And I think in that instance, it's about finding that tangible thing that you can do to help someone out in the world. And the beauty, I think, in this context, too, and what I think a lot of smart pharma marketers have realized is that in that unbranded context, you can do things that if you are directly supporting your target consumer with something that is going to have a positive halo onto your brand, it's going to be a much more effective effective way to reach them than trying to do something like a, do you have this symptom or this symptom? It's a PSA isn't really going to be the most effective thing. And I think for us at MMC, while we certainly do a lot of celebrity-driven work, uh, I won't deny that, for us, it's always been more cherry on top. If an idea is dependent on a celebrity, it's not an idea. And most often these days, we actually try to go with something that does not involve it. Um, certainly, we're leaning into influence in different manifestations, but you don't always need that macro influencer of a celebrity to be the most effective thing. In fact, very often when you're looking at a lot of different disease areas, it's the least effective way to actually go about it. And doing something that is much more authentic and grassroots really is the way to go. This, again, is also where technology has been so democratizing and the ability to create essentially stunts within the context of social media or the metaverse really is giving us a lot more angles in which we can play that, again, allow us to get that reach and that recognition that a celebrity might provide, but without having to go down that more traditional camp. You mentioned um, working on campaigns with ad agencies, and obviously MMC is part of Omnicom, which I believe contains a couple ad agency brands. Um, how, what kind of working relationship do you have during the ideation process? I hate that word, by the way, but let's everybody knows what it means. So what, what kind of working relationship do you have with your peers on the advertising side? Do they recognize you as a peer? So yes, yes. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I will say uh, getting to that point took a little bit of time. And I think that it's even right now when I go and walk around Cannes and see my friends from my days in advertising, they're like, you're where? It's like, no, but this is actually, I'm doing the stuff that you've been aspiring to do all these years. Um, but 
I think it does take a little bit of time for people to recognize that creative can exist outside of an ad, ad agency. Oh, uh, yeah. One of the things that infuriates me, we, we talked about this a, a few weeks ago, um, is not only do people in advertising describe their firms as creative agencies, um, I've heard PR people say things like, oh, we worked with a creative agency on this. And I always say, so you're not creative? And you know, the idea that advertising and creative are synonyms has embedded itself in the culture of marketing communications to such an extent that we now use it as a term to exclude ourselves. I, I Can you explain that I, I to me? I'm glad you said it, because if you hadn't, I actually was going to. Um, so I have the exact same reaction. My skin crawls every time I hear someone say that. And it is, look, it's a, a hallmark or a callback to a time that we no longer live in. And I think it's one where I think that is going to change very quickly. I will say in no uncertain terms, MMC is a creative agency. Full stop. We are. Um, and I think you're going to see more and more shops within the world of PR operating in the same fashion. At least I know of several that are trying to emulate our model right now. Um, and I think one of the beautiful things I've seen is even some people who have come up through MMC are now trying to instill that exact same model of creativity at new agencies that they may have moved on to since, plucked precisely because of the work that we were doing here. So I do think we're, we're starting a trend overall within the PR space to redefine that. Creative agency is whoever is coming up with an idea in any given moment. It is not necessarily the vanguard of advertising. It's not the vanguard of PR. Anyone can be, any agency can be creative if set up the right way. Um, it is certainly not just the message of one. Right. Is there a question, though, of who gets asked to be creative? In other words, is it still the case that a lot of clients, for the core idea go to the place where they spend the most money? So, yes. So that is certainly a dynamic that we encounter. What I do find amusing is every time we're given a quote-unquote jump ball situation, we tend to walk away with it, but I won't say anything more. Um, but really, again, that is also a little bit different on the two sides of the coin, where I think within, again, the consumer world, it makes sense also, frankly, given the scale of the budgets and the relationships. And we've oriented ourselves in a way where we're helping to hone those ideas coming from part partner agencies so that they are earned first before we start our part of the program. So there is collaboration there to your earlier question as well. On the healthcare side of things, I think that's where we're really branching out more. And it's it's almost odd to say that healthcare is where I think some of the most creative ideas are coming from, from an earn first perspective these days. But again, I think that's in part because of necessity and the environment and realizing it really is the more effective way to reach people. Earlier in the conversation, you alluded to your definition of creativity, um, which, if I can recharacterize it, was um, sort of the opposite of creativity for creativity's sake. I'm never quite sure what that means, but I sort of know it when I see it, right? Uh, the sort of flamboyant, big, stunty kind of, you know, let's just get attention even if it's not strategically focused. Um, I've always thought of creativity in the public relations realm as being an elegant solution to a business challenge, which is sort of the same place you're coming from, right? But what can you explain to me the difference between those two things, how you know that something is a an elegant solution rather than just self-indulgent creativity? Is there a is there a 
difference between those two that you can articulate? I, I mean, I, I do believe it, it truly comes down to fidelity of strategy and really making sure that you are approaching things in a way that really are geared to drive a distinct result. That, that sounds very, like, formulaic. But uh, by that I mean it's we have to we have a set goal in mind, right? We are, at the end of the day, um, uh, to paraphrase another very famous quote, like, and in this context, it was advertising. Advertising was supposed to be art in the service of capitalism, right? I think that is very much true across all of marketing, but we too often forget the in-service of capitalism part, right? We have to ensure that whatever we're doing actually is driving results for our clients. And that means that an idea that can be very simple at its core, if it is the more effective mechanism by which to drive it, it is the better idea than that multi-million dollar celebrity campaign. So it's really taking that hard look and realizing, you know what, if I produce this myself, it might turn out this way, but if I leverage this partner and their voice, it's actually going to reach my audience, that's the way I should do it. So you almost have to take your creative ego out of the equation and again recognize this is about effectiveness at the end of the day. Um, and I do think that pulling someone to something that they didn't expect to do is the ultimate manifestation of a truly creative campaign, because that's what we're really trying to do, change a mind, right? Okay, so we've talked about business results and effectiveness. I, I have to ask this question, which is, historically, there has been always a suggestion, at least, that there was some sort of tension between data and analytics and creativity. That, you know, creativity couldn't be measured, that if we started to put constraints either in the planning process or in the measurement process on creativity, um, it somehow diminished what you do. Um, you're talking about it as an ally and a necessity. How do, you, how do you view the role of data and analytics both in guiding creativity and in measuring its impact? I mean, I'll put it this way. I think if you're afraid of the analytics, it means you're afraid your idea actually isn't that good. Um, so I, I just have to be blunt about it. And I think for me as well, uh, and again, coming up on the healthcare side of things, data was everything. I mean, my job was literally translating data into messages that would resonate. So for me, I never shied away from that. Um, and again, data visualization, and as odd as it is, in my career, coming up as a copywriter, the two things that fascinated me most were data viz and how do I create an interaction where I don't say a word, right? The opposite of what I'm supposed to be there for. But I think in that context, too, the data has a story to tell, right? And if you can tell that story effectively, you've done more for that audience than anything else. And especially as we now move into this new world of AI and uh, all these other things around data science that are going to be so already are so impactful within what we're creating, if you're afraid of that side of the equation, you're not going to succeed anymore. So I, I will admit I'm not the biggest fan of like massive quant studies that are going to microfracture your audience to the nth degree. That can be kind of painful. And A to B testing can sometimes lead to work that I'm not quite as proud of, even if it is a little bit more effective. So there are certainly drawbacks to it. But I think you just have to view at the end of the day what is really my goal. And if my goal is to actually move a market and drive business, that's what I have to always be looking at. And if the data says I'm not right, no matter how good my idea was, well, then maybe that idea wasn't actually that good. So we, 
ranged across quite a lot of territory in this discussion. I'm going to end by, since we're here in Cannes, and actually Cannes, at the end of the day, uh, other than other than drinks on the croisette, which we've covered, is essentially about winning prizes. Tell me about some of the work you've seen, and I know we're early in the week still, but tell me about some of the work you've seen here that you think we'll be talking about for the next few months uh, that illustrates the the points that you've been making. Oh, absolutely. So um, uh, with the limited set of the winners from last night, you know, there are a couple that are top of mind for me. Um, <laughs> the Artois pop, uh, probability, I think, is absolutely brilliant. Uh, so for those who haven't seen this, essentially because Stella has been around for so incredibly long, I believe back until like 1348, if something in there, uh, it has inadvertently shown up throughout many paintings throughout history. So the idea that they had was actually showing you the probability of whether that beer in that famous uh, piece of art that you're looking at actually might have been a Stella Artois. It's genius. But again, where's the ad? Like, unless you're claiming that Van Gogh actually was creating a Stella ad all those years ago, there's no actual ad to that, right? Again, it's more about now that cultural conversation that's being driven around it. Um, another one of my favorites uh, from yesterday, Fit Chicks. Uh, I believe that was from a poultry company in New Zealand. Uh, so essentially trying to prove out the fact that they truly were, their hens really were free range, right, uh, when it came to the eggs. They created the first ever uh, step tracker for a chicken, uh, which I think just the absurdity of that already had my attention. Uh, but then they actually go ahead and print the number of steps that chicken took on every egg in the carton. Now, when I think about that end consumer's takeaway, I can see right there that was a free-range egg, right? When I think about the effectiveness of that campaign, as silly and absurd as it was, it is brutally effective at its core. Yeah, no, that's I, I hadn't seen that, but it sounds brilliant. I will search it out. I hope it wins in, oh, I hope it was entered in and wins in the PR category. Oh, and uh, that's the thing. I actually wonder if it was. Um, and I, I will say, you know, two others that really stood out even moving into healthcare. Uh, one that is very clearly uh, PR at its core, uh, the most beautiful sound in the world, uh, which is quite literally the sound of apoptosis in cancer cells. So cancer cells dying. Beautiful campaign. Again, the simplicity of that idea and the meaning that it conveys to its target audience, right? It is not an ad by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a profound way of reaching people with cancer. So another beautiful, beautiful idea. Or the other thing, and frankly, I was surprised not to see more of this last night, but the application of technology to help communities has really been the vanguard of the healthcare side of uh, at least the winning entrance again in the recent years. The only one that really kind of fit that bill yesterday was uh, scroll therapy, which is actually very, very, uh, another very simple idea, but a brilliant idea, where essentially for patients with Parkinson's, right, to help them with their facial exercises, it's an app that allows you to actually navigate most of the most popular social media apps using your face, where different gestures that are directly mapped to the exercises you need to be doing actually uh, control different aspects of it. So it's, I think it was something like surprise face to scroll down, happy face to scroll up, to, or to like something. So basically, each piece of functionality was tied to your actual physical therapy. That's brilliant, right? These are beautiful ways of, again, providing tangible benefit to a community. They're not ads, 
but they and they're absolutely earned at their core. They are just great applications of creativity. That would fit my definition of a public relations campaign. I don't know where it was born or who came up with it, but to me, that's a PR idea. Um, and you know, the the more we can broaden the definition of a PR idea and the more that we can come up with great PR ideas ourselves, the happier I will be coming here and, and covering this strange festival. Me too. And perhaps going back to your earlier point, I think it's it's long since time that we just perhaps start referring to all of these agencies as creative agencies. Because in reality, that's what we're all doing. This is all, again, that application of creativity in a way that actually makes a difference. And if that is our gold standard, it doesn't matter which side of the industry you're on, you are a creative agency. Sounds good to me. Thank you very much indeed. I really appreciate your time, James. Uh, I've had fun. The sun is beginning to peep through and the breeze is beginning to die down. And with that, I'm going to wrap this up. We will be back with more from Cannes and with more from MMC over the coming months. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much, Paul. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.